Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is Ozzy Jankovic, and I am your host. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. You might not hear the music playing in the background. Today's episode is going to be very, very special. And it is the re airing of an interview that I did almost a year ago today. Last year on March 17th, I was blessed to have the great privilege of sitting down with Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky. I went to his home in Jerusalem, and it was really a dream come true for me to be able to meet him. He was such a spiritual giant. And today, nearly one year later, we are at the one month mark of his passing last month. Rabbi Tversky touched me immensely. He touched countless lives in his years. He was an absolutely incredible soul, and this episode is all about remembering him and really bringing forth such a powerful message that he shared that I literally cannot share enough. It is something that I remind myself of every single day that I live and something that guides me and something that I feel so privileged and so convicted to share with you today. So if you are tuning into this episode and you're used to hearing um, you're used to hearing the shows about entrepreneurship, I want to reassure you that the message that Rabbi Tversky gives over today is relevant to every area of our life. It is about believing in ourselves. It is about being the best version of who we can be and bringing that to the table in all areas of life. I want to tell you who Rabbi Tversky was, as well as how I got to him, which is a a unique story and I think also brings to light the incredibly special person that he was. About a year and a half ago, when I was starting this show, a close friend of mine, Yael Wolf, asked me, Ozzy, if you could interview anyone on your show, who would it be? Well, when I started this show, it was initially all about spiritual topics. And my answer was an immediate Rabbi Tversky. So I, I reached out to him. I did some asking around and it appeared at the time that he wasn't really doing any interviews. So I let it rest. And a few months later, I had a very special guest on the podcast named Rabbi Eli Spitz. He's a very, very close friend of the family. He's actually related to us on my husband's side. He's a conservative rabbi in Southern California. And if you know anything about the different movements in Judaism, you might know that The movements in Judaism do not see eye to eye on many core components of the religion. And what's beautiful and so fascinating and so inspiring to me about Rabbi Eli Spitz is that he is someone who sees the big picture. He really sees the interconnectedness of all humans and he he sees beyond differences. And so I was not surprised to learn that he had a very close relationship with Rabbi Tversky. And due to his efforts behind the scenes and putting us in touch, we were connected with Rabbi Tversky. 
I think it also says a lot about Rabbi Tversky that he maintained relationships with people from different backgrounds across cultures with, you know, variations in beliefs and philosophies because he was someone who united. He was someone who saw the common thread and the common humanity in all people. And that is something that I will always personally remember him for. A little bit about who he was in his life. He was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I am reading this from Wikipedia, so I'm. It's it was recently updated, and it appears to be quite accurate. So he was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he was born in the year 1930. He was. Um, his parents were part of a Hasidic dynasty, so he came from a family of spiritual luminaries and he speaks about this a bit in the episode how he went on a rabbinic path and then he veered off into psychiatry and had a very meaningful and profound career working with those suffering from addiction. Rabbi Tversky was a prolific writer. There are over 90 citations on this Wikipedia page of books that he wrote, including, as it says, several books with Charles Schultz Peanuts comic strips illustrating human interaction and behavior. The books that are on my shelves at home are all about personal growth from a spiritual perspective, growing each day, growing each week, living each week, and there are so many more incredible books by Rabbi Tversky, I look forward to immersing myself in in more of them. When I walked into his home last March in Jerusalem, he was sitting in a wheelchair in his living room, looking very content, very peaceful, and reading a holy text. I asked him what he was reading. He greeted me very warmly when I came in, and he looked me in the eyes, and he, there was such a sweetness and, and such a wisdom about, about him. A real warmth and he told me that he was reading the weekly Torah portion and we sat down together and we had this conversation that you're gonna hear and it really really touched my soul so I feel incredibly blessed to share this with you today before I bring on the episode with Rabbi Tversky of Blessed Memory, I want to let you know that this episode is actually not sponsored this week, but I am sharing two opportunities to give to really, really important causes with you here today. The first one is a fundraiser for the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit at Laniato Hospital in Netanya. And there is actually an event for women happening on March 7th. It is going to be a lot of entertainment happening live on March 7th, raising money for this important cause. I'm going to put a link in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about the event or making a donation. The second cause that I am sharing with you here today is wellspringsofmyyan.com and my friend Devorah Hadassah, she's also a member of my mastermind community, has a daughter who has been suffering with a very rare neurological disease since she was young and the family needs extra help in order to keep her alive. So I invite you to join me in donating to both of these campaigns in any amount 
It will all be welcomed and appreciated and extremely meaningful. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in. And it is my great pleasure and honor to share this interview with you from March of 2020 with Rabbi Torsky of Blessed Memory. When we originally scheduled this interview, I didn't anticipate what was coming. Your wisdom can help so many people at this time in particular. So thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. For any of our listeners who have yet to meet you or become acquainted with your work, you've written books and I know that you've worked with some of the most challenged people in society. Can you tell us a little bit about your history? My father was a rabbi in Milwaukee, a Hasidic rabbi. I wanted to be following his footsteps. His office was always buzzing with people looking for advice. And I modeled myself after him. When I became a rabbi, this was in 1951, post-World War II, psychiatry and psychology had a meteoric rise. And it quite soon became available. And I decided that perhaps I should do what in order to be what I wanted to be as a, as a rabbi, I should go for the professional, because that's where people are going to go for counseling. So I wrote a letter to the stipend of God, who was a friend of the family, he and my father grew up together. And I told them that I was planning to go to medical school. And he wrote me a long letter and he gave me his blessing. So I went to medical school with the intent of becoming a psychiatrist, which is what I did. If I had to do it over again, I would do it exactly as I did. And then I was asked to take a position as director of St. Francis General Hospital, which was a Catholic hospital in Pittsburgh, a very large hospital. 750 beds, of which 300 were psychiatric. And that was my job. And then there was a part of the uh, psychiatric unit that was an alcohol treatment unit. Now, it was very primitive. Alcoholics, were admitted to be dried out, which was four days, five days, six days, and then they were sent out. And I said to the administrator, I said, sister, we're not doing these people any good. We have not given them any tools how to stay sober. I think we need a residential treatment center locally. I'm making it sound very simple. It was awfully complicated. But I went about putting together a committee of influential people and then trying to raise money and getting a government 
uh, support grant, etc. In 1972, we opened the doors of Gateway Rehabilitation Center, which has since become one of the foremost addictions treatment centers. It started off with alcoholism, but then when the drug epidemic hit, uh, we started treating drug addiction. And in the last couple of years, we added a special youth center because of the uh, spread of drugs of all kinds among young people. And then I began to write a little bit about some of my experiences and some of my ideas. Uh, early on, I found that most people that I uh, treated, other than alcoholics and addicts, all had a common denominator that all had feelings of inadequacy and inferiority that were not realistic. Huh? And they had suffered from the, the terrible underestimation. And this gave rise to many problems. So I got started on a theme of developing self-esteem. And my first book was entitled Like Yourself and Others Will Too. And that was the beginning of a career. Because for all practical purposes, when people have asked me, how many books have you written? I'd say something was in the 80s. Wow. Well, uh, how do you find time to find so many books? I said, I never wrote 80 books. I wrote one book in 80 different ways. Because all I talk about is how important it is to get to know the truth about yourself and not be blinded by these inferiority feelings. So that's been one of my major themes. The second issue has much to do with uh, addiction. And that is that as long as people are in pursuit of self-gratification, there will never be the addiction problem. I mean, I've watched over the past 40 years, I've watched the government in America spend billions of dollars to try to do something about the addiction problem, and it keeps on increasing. And it keeps on increasing because there's no end point to wanting comfort, pleasure, self-gratification. So this is where spirituality comes in. Our ancestor, Avramovino, was a maverick, and he did not go along with the prevailing idolatry. But his uh, contribution was not necessarily the teaching monotheism that there's one God. That's part of it. What it was about was that idolatry was a practice of trying to appease the gods so that they should, should fulfill your wishes. Right? 
for whether for whether it was for for bountiful crops, our children or whatever. And Avraham Avinu says, "You've got it all wrong. God is not here to serve us. We are here to serve Hashem." And that was a revolutionary kind of statement, and uh, very few people picked up on it, except Avraham Avinu, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and the Bnei Yisrael. So, if we have a goal in life of wishing to fulfill the wishes and directions of Hashem, it is possible to have a, a truly happy life and not artificial happiness. But that's not the way the world is going. In the history of the world, there has never been a generation that has been as hedonistic as ours. People are in pursuit, not of happiness, their pursuit of pleasure. And that is going to feed into addiction, and I see no end to it. Yes, you can build more treatment centers, but you're not going to do anything about preventing addiction. And ideally, the Torah observant community should have learned the lesson of Avraham Avinu and followed in the footsteps of the teachings of the, of the tzaddikim of all generations. Some of that has happened, but on the other hand, to many people, being Torah observant is primarily doing the rituals of Torah, which is important. But it's not enough. The mitzvahs and the rituals are important, but a strong amun on Hashem. And amun is the only kind of thing that's going to get us through life. The Talmud says that Habakkuk the prophet said, The righteous person will live with him. For, for our listeners who are not familiar with this idea of amuna. This, this is a Hebrew word that we're using. How could you, Rabbi, how would you explain this concept to someone who's not familiar? Amuna is uh, comprised of faith and trust in Hashem. So the first one has to believe in Hashem. And this is something that we get from our heritage, or we get from our parents, our grandparents, and so forth. Once we have a belief in Hashem, then we have to learn how to uh, trust Hashem and that everything Hashem does is for the best, even though we can't begin to understand it. Okay? Um, and whenever we're challenged by things that seem to be terribly unfair, I just have to stop and pause and think, the uh, Tov, the Gaon of Vilna, all of these intellectual and spiritual giants, they knew the same problems that I do. They had all the same questions about, about Hashem. But yet they kept up the faith. And there have been so many instances of where people have 
sacrifice their lives for Hashem rather than to deny Him. So that's what Amuna is about, a strong trust and faith in Hashem. And it's a battle. It's a battle, a lifelong battle. It's a simple battle for children to learn. But as we get older and uh, more intelligent and more experienced and more aware of the world, the challenges become greater, not lesser. And so, the challenges that I face in Amunu now, at close to age 90, are much greater than the challenges that I had when I was 8 or 10. But if there is true Amunu, and you realize you're living for a purpose, and the purpose is not just to get the maximum fun and pleasure out of life, our, our current generation seems to believe that the world was created to be a huge amusement park. Right? But if we believe that we were, believed to, uh, we were created to fulfill a purpose that Hashem wants, again, there may be a lot of gratification that we're missing, right? but there is the gratification of knowing that we're doing the right thing. Right? and fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. Beautiful. So I want to revisit the idea that you shared about self-esteem in terms of someone not believing in themselves, not having the self-esteem, the self-concept, and yet having every reason to believe in themselves, but somehow believing this falsity, this falsehood. Can you explain to us a little bit about how that happens and how do we open ourselves up to believing in ourselves? There is no logical explanation for that. In psychology, the explanation is that if you um, are unhappy with yourself, it's due to a deficit in parenting or other external circumstances that deprive you of that which, which you wish. I used to think that, like, like other psychologists, but then I came across something that is said by one of the Balai Musa, which became much clearer to me. And he said that we believe that Hashem created a Yitzhah Tov, a good inclination, and a Yitzhah and an evil inclination. And what does the Yitzhah do? The, the opinion generally was, tries to seduce you to doing sins. Huh? But then I found that one of the great Balimuso said that that's not all the Yetzirah does. The Yetzirah simply wants to disable you so that you should not be able to fulfill the will of Hashem. Huh? And although he can do, gets solved by seducing you to sin, uh, most of it is by uh, taking away your self-trust taking away your self-esteem and making you feel worthless. And if, if he gets you to feel worthless, he's won his battle. Right? So when I get uh, feelings like everybody else does, that uh, I'm severely lacking, that I'm not doing enough, I have to stop myself and say, wait a second, um, 
I get other ideas. Yes, the Lord told me that when I'm hungry to go and eat whatever I can or whatever I like. And I don't listen to the Yitzharah. So I don't listen to the Yitzharah when he tells me how, in, how incapable I am. I say, that's not, that's not so. I know that I am a child of Hashem. And as such, I have a neshama that is part of Hashem. And it's really uh, endless in its potential. It's a beautiful idea and, and so empowering in terms of how we can seek happiness. And I'm curious if you can share a little bit with us about the difference between happiness and pleasure, especially for those of us who are unfamiliar with spiritual teachings. What is going to make us happy in this life if it's not pleasure? First of all, I strongly believe that there's a basic difference between animals, animals and men. I don't believe that science is correct when they say that man is a homo sapiens, because homo sapiens simply means a gorilla with intellect. Animals are driven by pleasure. And it's natural, and it's perfectly okay for animals. If people do that, then they're lowering themselves to a animal status. And so I have to realize that I have something else to contribute to life other than just selfish gratification. And selfish gratification may give me a few moments of pleasure, but in the long run it's going to fail. I've worked with thousands and thousands of drug addicts. They have a pursuit of pleasure. And they have a pursuit of pleasure that destroys them. Now, if pleasure was would be the uh, source of happiness, then addicts ought to be the happiest people in the world. But they're not. They're the most miserable people in the world. And so many people who have fortunately recovered from drug addiction have said to me, the worst day of my sobriety is better than the best day of my addiction. The worst day of my sobriety is better than the best day of my addiction. It's powerful. It's powerful and it's true. I'm privileged to know that because I've dealt with thousands of people who are addicts and who crawl, who've crawled out of that. I don't believe that animals have happiness. Happiness is a human trait. Pleasure is an animal trait. I refuse to be a homo sapiens. <laughs> I love that. I like how you speak about it in your book on spirituality, that what makes someone uniquely human is their capacity for spirituality. So I'm curious if you could share with those of our listeners familiar or even unfamiliar with spirituality as a term or as a practice. Are there practical things that anyone can do to live a more spiritual life? Of course. We have to first realize what is it really that separates a human being from a lower form of life? And the answer is that the human being has a component called the spirit. And what is the spirit, right? The spirit is, consists of several things. First of all, of being able to sacrifice 
one's own needs for the welfare of someone else. The ability to grow, right? ability to forgive, right? uh -huh. the ability to see a purpose in life rather than think of oneself as an accidental occurrence on earth. There's perhaps 13 or 14 things that are characteristic of a human being that animals do not do. They don't have those capacities. And it's those items that separate us from an animal that constitutes spirituality. Now, some people have asked, what about religion? I say religion is very important. But it's not part of this, it's, it's not the most essential part of, of spirituality. In fact, a, a religious performance without spirituality is a superficial uh, performance and is, and is uh, of very little value. Right. So being from and doing the mitzvahs is important, but only as part of the package that we do so because Hashem wants us to do that, wants us to do it, and we were created to do that and we're fulfilling a purpose in life. So over the course of your work, you've had thousands of patients, thousands of patients who were suffering with addiction. And I think right now, in this time of stress, it's especially important to think about how does someone deal with stress and deal with wanting to be comforted or feeling a need for a substance. How can people deal with those desires in times that are difficult? They can do that if they realize that that's the only way to go. Unfortunately, many people, especially in our modern age, believe that the uh, solution to that to the lies in taking some kind of substance that will give you a kind of a train of thought or kind of sensation that will take away your stress. Right? Mm. They have recourse either to alcohol or to drugs or to other kinds of pleasures such as gambling, such as sexual addiction, all kinds of things that are totally self-centered without a sense of responsibility or duty. Right? And those kinds of things can only give one a very brief uh, period of gratification. And then there's the desire for more and more and more. And so it's, it's a actually a frustrated existence. It sounds very difficult. So in, in terms of shifting out of that addiction, mentality, seeking pleasure, is there a mindset or something that, that people can do on a daily basis to affirm their spirituality, to affirm their life and purpose, living for real happiness? What can we think? What can we do? I think we have to learn the sources in Torah that deal with this. Those are the kinds of things that can give a person a, a sense of accomplishment and a sense of value. I spent most of my practice working with alcoholics and addicts and watching them 
grow in recovery. Their recovery is based on making a significant change in lifestyle. And in practical terms, it's based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. If Bill Wilson, who's the author of the 12 steps, also has a belief in God, but that is not the essential thing. Right? The essential thing is practicing the 12 steps, having the camaraderie and uh, support with uh, other people in doing so. And I've seen people change their lives around from being a homo sapiens right? well, to, to being a, well, a sensitive, feeling, believing person. It's so beautiful to hear that it's possible and that there's hope for everyone and that we all go through the same difficulties. I think it's really comforting to hear from you that everyone has this sense of doubt, this evil inclination that's holding us back from being who we can be in this world. I know that around the world, people are feeling scared and times are changing. And I'm curious if you could share any advice that you can share for our listeners in the time that we're in right now. The immediate thing is to do the kind of things that are most likely to preserve our life and prevent us from getting this horrible disease. That is number one. Once we do that, if we realize that our lives are purposeful, we don't take the fear as a threat to our existence. It's easy to say, very difficult to do. So on a practical level, in terms of being precautious with everything we need to do to stay safe, we have that on the first hand. And on the second hand, it's not allowing ourselves to live in fear. And if we realize, hey, this is reality, we have going through an exceedingly difficult period of reality. But if we panic, all is lost. Stay calm, stay calm in other words. Try to stay calm. Try to stay calm. Almost any of those, if you go through any of the books, uh, that talk about uh, stress and anxiety, other than taking medications. Right? Mm -hmm. But it's very easy to make yourself oblivious to the world by taking enough of a, of a tranquilizer, but that's not the way to go. Uh, and I think if we learn how to stay calm with the kind of things that are sensible practices, right? uh, it can be achieved and we'll survive this. Right? You do the maximum that you can. And if you have trust and belief in Hashem, then you pray for the Hashem's guidance and protection. Amen. And protection. Amen. Examples of times in the Torah where panic was a problem and then how that was, and, yeah. and how that was dealt with. The prime example was described by uh, uh, one of the Musar authorities of Shmulevich who explains how the phenomenon of the worship of the golden calf could possibly have happened. Here was the people who had been at Sinai and had heard the word of Hashem. They watched the splitting of the sea. They saw miracle after miracle. The presence and actions of Hashem were palpable. 
how do they go off the deep end? So he said it was very simple. They were in the desert. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how they're going to survive. The only thing that they had was Moshe. Moshe was the leader who provided for all of their questions and all of their needs. And suddenly Moshe is gone for 40 days and they assume him to be dead. And he said they went into a panic. They went into a panic to do something as idiotic as worshiping a golden calf. So the remedy for this, rather than, let's say we could rewind the story, what could someone do instead? You turn to your leaders, you turn to your leaders and you get guidance. And their leader was gone. Their leader was gone. Moses was gone. Right. And so they panicked. Well, if we assume what Rav uh, said, that the uh, episode of the ego was due to a panic, the uh, antidote is to have faith and not panic. Uh, what happened with, with, uh, with them was they saw no way out without Moshe in a barren desert, so logical there was panic. He says you can't go by logic, you have to go by, have to go by your faith. Mm, go by your faith. Beautiful message. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me and thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Really, We really appreciate it. Thank you so My much. My pleasure. What a gift and what an honor. I feel so blessed to have met Rabbi Tversky. Listening to him speak really brings tears to my eyes. He touched my life so deeply. And, you know, when I walked out of his house that day, I said to myself, I will always remember what he said about this spiritual battle that we're in. That the evil inclination, as it's known in Torah philosophy, the evil inclination tries to seduce us by convincing us to doubt ourselves. And that's the way that it tries to keep light out of the world. And I said to myself, you know, from this day forward, I'm going to notice that as best as I possibly can. And I am going to act when I notice that self-doubt. So I bless all of us to really have that clarity and to heed Rabbi Tversky's words because every single one of us, every single one of you, we are all here for a really, really important purpose. And even if we can't always see it, even if we can't always feel it, I think it's really important that we take these words to heart. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me. I want to invite you to my YouTube channel. If you're interested in watching this interview, we have it on video. I also am going to be sharing clips on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm Ozzy.Jankovic on Instagram, Dr. Ozzy Jankovic on Facebook, and I will post links to all of these in the show notes so that you can see this beautiful interview from last year in the living room of Rabbi Dr. Torsky of Blessed Memory. 
Every blessing, as always, thank you for being here and wherever you are in the world. I do hope that you are meeting yourself with kindness.